0: Welcome, and thank you for listening today. This Caregiver Life podcast focuses on caregivers from all walks of life. Throughout the episode, we will hear from caregivers on the front line, those who do the day-to-day, sometimes hour-to-hour caregiving. We will also hear from care recipients, professionals in the field of caregiving, and other various topics of interest to those living this caregiver life. today we have larry gary joining us on a podcast or joining me jennifer my co-host is traveling today for work larry joins us today as her husband is in icu so she has a lot to share she is deeply affected by what's going on in her life right now her husband was diagnosed three years ago with als he's service connected he served in the air force during the gulf war first gulf war and they are having some real difficulties at this point, and she's graciously agreed to come on and share some of those struggles with us. And that's one of the things we really like the most about this caregiver life, is on these podcasts, the caregivers can be unfiltered and share what they need to share and what they feel others will gain from listening to their story or um, that they will gain from being able to share their story, or both. It happens either way. Sometimes sharing our story is really valuable to us and helps us heal a little bit and see things in a different perspective. And sometimes people who are listening to our stories gain a lot from hearing our stories. If you have a story that you'd like to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. In the meantime, sit back, listen to Lara, um, and applaud her courage with me.
1: Hello Lara. Hello Mary.
0: Thanks for joining us today on this caregiver life.
1: Well, I appreciate you asking me to join you.
0: Oh, well, so Larry Gary is a caregiver to her husband Tom. You want to tell us a little bit about you and Tom?
1: Absolutely. I'm happy to tell you about us. Tom uh, was in the Air Force from about 1989 to 96. Um, and he was diagnosed with ALS in 2016. In fact, we just are coming up on our three-year anniversary of our ALS diagnosis. And I am his caregiver. And as of um, today, I'm his caregiver pretty much full-time because I had to go part-time with my... With my um, with my job.
0: Well, tell us a little something about your job. What did you What did you do? What do you like about your job? Um, you don't have to answer all these questions, but I'll just give you some things to think about.
1: Okay. Yeah. No. That's cool. Yeah.
0: So, the the kind of job you had, what you liked about <clears throat> it, um, what it meant to you to have your job, and how does it feel today, in particular, not just today in general, but today, March eleventh, twenty nineteen. Um, about where you are with your career?
1: <clears throat> well, I have been working in my industry for about 20 years, and it is it is really a, a predominantly male industry. I do consulting in the solid waste world, and I have been doing this as an independent consultant as well as I worked as a regulator for the state of Texas. And working in this industry, I have always loved. I've, it's always... Um, been something I've been passionate about. I enjoy working with my clients. Um, I think the nicest people work in waste. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have truly enjoyed it. I I like the challenges that it gives me. Um, And so it is something that I've just really been working hard at developing my career, developing my reputation in industry. And um, I'm very proud of, of what I've done over the last Um, 20 years or so. Um, And now, um, as of today, because of um, the increased needs of my husband uh, with ALS, I had to send that notice to my supervisor that it's time for me to go part-time, which really means um, going from a salaried position and full benefits to part-time and no benefits, so there's a little bit of, of fear in the future um, doing this because we're now you know going down from two paychecks down to one, but I know everything will be be okay. But there is a lot of a lot of fear. There's also a lot of fear for the future. How old Because do you- with ALS, how old are you? I am I am I just turned. Forty nine. So I still have a lot of work left in me. Um, and unfortunately, leaving my industry, while there will always be work and waste, um, coming back after an absence, I'm not sure that I will be able to come back at the level that I am now. And that is, is um, it saddens me because I have, I have worked so hard to, to be where I am at this point in my, in my career. Um, So it is, it's, it's, um, it's grieving. I'm, I'm actually today I am grieving one more thing. Um, Thanks to that horrendous disease, ALS. It, it, it impacts so many things. Um, In addition to, to dealing with this today, I'm, I'm also, you know, working through bringing Tom home um, because he had to have a trach placed, which is a huge thing in the ALS community um, and something that's a hard decision that not many, many people do um, choose this, choose to do um, a trach. And he's in the hospital and, and I had to come home this afternoon to ensure that uh, we're receiving supplies and the house is ready to receive him. And coordinate, you know, his care once he leaves the hospital. So I'm doing a lot of logistics and and grieving the life that we had prior to uh, the trach, which was is going to be more. It was more independent. Uh, we could do more things prior to this. Um, do I hope we go back to that? I do, but I know that there's going to be a, um, you know, a time frame that we have to adjust an adjustment to get to, to where we were. So there's a lot as of today, there's, there's a lot. And so the grieving of the, the career is just another slap in the face of what this disease brings. It's it, you know, it starts off with just a diagnosis and a slow progression. And then, you know, the, the ball starts rolling down the, the mountain, so to speak, and the progression comes faster and faster until, you know, one day you're in the hospital with pneumonia um and then the next day you're making a decision to have a trach so today is a very sad day for me wow
0: well I'm sorry to hear that and I and I know that doesn't change anything for you except for I truly mean that I really am I am really sorry that and I know you completely
1: (laughs) understand (laughs) it (laughs) <laughs> no I know you understand it you and I have had those conversations yeah. um, and and it's conversations that I think you know while while we are in in a caregiver community it really is those caregivers that are walking this same path as far as this disease um, can empathize with us um, and understand that understand that there is this loss of <clears throat> by losing my, my career and my, and only going part-time, you know, there's a loss of independence. Um, There was a loss of, you know, feeling that I have accomplished something that is um, just me independent of my family. And so that, that was, you know, something I looked forward to and I know you, like I said, I know you understand that. Um, So it's good to talk with other caregivers, but specifically other caregivers with that are dealing with this, um, like I am, similar journeys.
0: Well, so um, one of the things I think maybe our listeners may not understand, because I I think we have a diverse listener group, is um, what is when you say trach? What is a trach? And how did how? What do you think? What what got what got you to the what got Tom to this point where he needed to have one? We call it trach because we we know and understand that's like kind of our lingo here.
1: Right, and and you're right. We we're speaking the ALS s language. Um, so so what what happens with ALS is is that it is a motor neuron disease, and and people or pals is what they're sometimes called people with ALS or a person with ALS. Um, is they slowly start to lose uh, strength and function in their body, their muscles, pretty much just go to sleep, so to say. (laughs) And, and so part of that um, is pulmonary function. Like most people will just think, okay, well, you're not able to, you become paralyzed, but, but part of it is um, a decrease in your respiratory ability because of the diaphragm and the diaphragm is a muscle. And for Tom, um, while everybody progresses differently, um, they all kind of get to the same end point. Tom's progression unfortunately has had a lot in his, as in his pulmonary function. He required breathing assistance through the use of a um, <clears throat> non-invasive ventilator early on in his diagnosis. And while we have tried to be very good about keeping um, him healthy and keeping, staying away during cold and flu mm-hmm. season, trying to stay close to home, um, he did develop a cold in January. And that cold led to um, pneumonia, Um, both viral and um, he did have aspiration pneumonia. Mm. He also had a a mucus plug, um, which um, helped to precipitate our need for um, a call to 911 and then emergency care. And, And in January, he was hospitalized for 16 days um, as we worked through this pneumonia. It really was a hit to his system. We brought him home after that, you know, after 16 days. And it was, it was tough. It was very hard. We were having a difficult time managing secretions. So um, that, that difficulty actually put us back into the hospital um, less than, well, right about three weeks after our original discharge date due to, um, a mucus plug again, that he had tried to cough up for almost 16 hours. And by the time that, you know, we, you know, those, you know, 13, 14, 15 hours were approaching, he was just getting weaker and weaker and having more difficulty breathing. Um, and that precipitated yet another call, um, to be taken to the hospital. This time, um, our choices were either, um, get a trach or having, um, you know, a tracheotomy placed, uh, so he can breathe through his, his, um, um, throat. So that's a direct, um, oh God. Mary, right. I can't even think of the word. No, What's the okay. word?
0: So he has, he has a tube. He basically, has a tube. He has a tube. In his yeah. Throat that
1: goes into his lungs. It's a protected airway. That's what I was trying to think of. It's airway. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now, because of <laughs> I have ALS, brain. Um, so now, now that that he has um, a protected airway, um, we can manage his secretions better. Okay. I think when I first. When we were first diagnosed and we kind of saw the progression, like, you know, okay, you've become paralyzed. Okay, we can handle that. Um, You may need help speaking. Okay, we can handle that. You may need help breathing. Okay, that's getting a little bit scarier. And you may need, you know, if you want to survive longer, you may need um, a trach placed. And I always just assumed a trach was placed when the breathing got um, to the point where, it was necessary for breathing purposes as opposed to secretion management. And I'm finding out that many ALS patients are getting their trachs based on the secretion management side of things, Mm -hmm. which, which does impact breathing. Um, So, so because of that, we are now, he has a protected airway. We can now suction him. So, so what would have taken that 16 hours to cough we now can take it in a minute. I can, I can suction him and he can be relieved, but it does place him at a greater risk. For, for what? For pneumonia again. Okay. Because it is a direct, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a hole, it's a direct pathway to his, his lungs. So we do have to be a little more careful he can breathe independent of his ventilator. Is he strong? No, but he can do it, but there may come a time where his breathing does decline more where he is a hundred percent dependent on his ventilator. And that knowing that that's still very scary, but, but we'll, we'll handle it. I think we're now at that point where, okay, well, we've handled the other's just deal with this. And so Tom had that choice. He had the choice of either having a trach placed or going home, dealing with this and potentially going on hospice. Um, And he's young. He just turned 50 last year. So, and we have a 16 year old, so he has a lot of living to do. Mm -hmm. And so going home on hospice was not something he's ready to do. He, even if he has to live paralyzed and he has to live with a trach, he's still active and engaged in our family and is still the head of our family. Um, and so I'll be honest, both, um, our son Trey and I know that this is the ultimate show of love for us. He is, he is, he wants to stay with us longer. So he chose that trait to do that. Wow. And I'm grateful for him for that.
0: Wow. Well, if you're not crying now, you should be. And that's a <laughs> tremendous love story right there for your family. Um, as it a, is. As a it caregiver, as a caregiver it, your role has changed now. Uh, when you first... When Tom was first diagnosed, did you see yourself as a caregiver at that particular time?
1: I didn't. I I don't even know if I connected with the word caregiver in the beginning. In the beginning with with the disease, it's it may be just he needs a little help here or, you know, he needs me to hold something for him. And I was just doing what a wife does. I was just helping out my husband. It wasn't until um, his needs became a little more um, that I started to see I was doing I was doing more for him. I was um, cutting up his food. I was helping him prepare to go go to the you know the bathroom or take a shower or whatever it is. Um, helping him dress. That that I I thought okay this is probably more than what just just being his wife and helping him. And it was also at that point that I connected with other people in the ALS community and the word or the term caregiver started, um, you know, being more used more. Um, in fact, you Mary, it, you're one of the first people I connected with and and while I like to use the word connected you sometimes use the word stalked <laughs> and that is true because I did stalk you Only because it, is to say it is stalking. fun it is fun but I did um, and I'm just happy that you you answered my my messages um, but but it's it was connecting with you and, and then connecting with others through, you know, Facebook and, and, you know, um, talking with him that I then started to see myself as, wow, I'm, I'm more than just his wife at this point. I'm, I'm his caregiver. And while that makes me very proud and I am, I'm happy I can do that for him and I love him and I would do it many times over there is a part of me that is saddened because there now becomes a distinction between wife and caregiver. I don't think, I think sometimes you can't be both. You can, you can be a wife or you can be a caregiver. Um, And, and others may see that differently, but, but after 29 years of marriage, I see that our relationship has changed. Um, And so there are times that, you know, lucky we, we're lucky enough to have a caregiver um, that um, we have come into the house to help, and when she's here, I'm actually able to be Tom's wife, and and I, I look forward to those moments, and I cherish those moments, and I try to um, commit those moments to memory because I know as this as it gets, the disease progresses, there may be um, not as many moments of being his wife as I wish there was
0: that's part of our grieving as well that we miss those re- those role relationships that we cherish so much in our life and you you and Tom very much like Tom and I have a marriage that's based on so many things Fail, you know falling in love quickly and madly and um, only having eyes for each other which was our wedding song. <laughs> Oh, but yeah, we, we, we eloped.
1: We, we said, uh, oh, so we didn't have that, but, but no, I, I, I totally get that. I mean, I see us in you as well. Mm -hmm. Um, it is, it's, it's, it's not just grieving. And I think you and I have discussed that several times that with ALS, you, you don't, you're not, it's, you don't grieve just, that your, your spouse, the person that you love has this disease and you know where this disease is going to go. It's grieving the life that was, um, it's grieving the person. There's so many things that you grieve. It's grieving, you know, not being able to be his wife, fully be his wife, um, as you once were. And I won't lie. I'm that
0: person who I really liked when, uh, Tom could do things for me. Like, I liked that he drove and I wasn't the driver. Amen, sister. Right? Amen. I I really liked all all of those things. I liked being a little bit spoiled. I liked when he would do the gardening and I didn't have to do the gardening. And I pay somebody to mow the lawn because I don't have any kids at home. And I certainly can mow the lawn. (laughs) I'm not spoiled. And I was raised as a blue-collar girl, and I know how to mow the lawn really well. But do I want to put my energy into that or do I put my energy into all the myriad of things that we have to do as caregivers of somebody with ALS? Anybody who is caregiving for somebody who is physically dependent on somebody to, to do most things in life, you know, you're doing them all. What you're the healthy caregiver, quote unquote healthy, is doing it for a whole other person. And that can be very draining. So you really have to measure your time. And I'm 10 years older than you. I'm 59 years old. So I have to think about those things, you know, that I don't want to wear myself out to the point where I, that I break before he breaks. And then we always have to consider that as caregivers that we don't put ourselves under that much stress, that we're not healthy ourselves. It's not easy to do. That's for sure. But it's important to do.
1: And it's not, I, I've only been on this caregiver journey for three years. And those are things that I'm, I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to learn how to better use my time. Is it easier just to hire someone to take care of this or do it yourself? And so those are, those are things that, that I think you have to learn. They just don't come natural. Um, Asking people for help. That's been one of the hardest things I've had to do since his diagnosis Um, and admit I can't do it. I, and I can't, I, I, I p- people like to say, you know, Laura, it looks like you've got everything under control, but you know, you don't know what happens when the door shuts at night and I completely fall apart. Um, well, you're exhausted. It is difficult.
0: You are. When Tom came home from the hospital the first time. Now you don't know right now the second time, cause he's, he's still in the hospital, but did you find that you were very, that you were really exhausted after that?
1: Like once you, were oh, home- absolutely. Oh, it was, it was, it was so difficult. Um, I was maintaining his care um, during the day and during the night. Uh, and he's now pretty much a two person caregiving mm-hmm. um, job at this point. And so while we did have a caregiver come in to help, um, there's still things that Tom, cause he's only been doing this three years too, that he still has a hard time asking for help. So it's easier to ask for my help than to ask, someone else to help him Mm -hmm. and it was, it was very difficult. I I think that I was, it was mind numbingly exhausting. I I don't know how else to explain it, that, that there were times where I just, I couldn't see straight. I couldn't think straight. Um, And, and that's not, that doesn't do anybody any good. And it Mm -hmm. took me, it took me a while to finally ask someone, can you please spend the night so I can at least get a night's sleep? I just had underestimated or maybe overestimated my abilities to help my husband. And, um, that's, that's just a wake up call that, you know, I do have to ask for help and I have to be better at my time and, and better at, 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 you know, getting people in or taking care of myself. Again, that's been a hard one too. You hear self care all the time, but at first I was like, well, define it. What is self care? and really self-care for me now is just taking that step back and separating myself just so I can take a breath Mm -hmm. and, and reset myself, whether that's like coming home from the hospital, just taking a break from the hospital or, you know, going out and running an errand. It's separating myself from the stress. And that's what I'm not sure people that are not in caregiving roles can see or feel is that, that intense stress that, that it just doesn't go away. Not that we, and we don't want it to go away. I mean, for it to go away means that, that ALS has taken my husband Mm -hmm. and I know there'll be times where I just wish I could go back and have that stress. So that there's a lot of guilt in that too. I want to break, but then I don't want to break. It, it is just, um, I, have as I like to say, it's a mind fuck, uh, for sure.
0: It is, and interestingly, um, my co-host Jen McInday, who's on the road today, so she didn't join us. But um, so we'll call this a bonus episode. Um, we just yeah, did, we did a podcast that where she's working on uh, getting it edited for broad, you know, so we could publish it. We did one not too long ago on self care, where we just had we just had a conversation. That went on for you know half an hour about what self care means, and for a lot of people, self care immediately means, um, you know, getting their health care done. And it depends on it depends on where you are, as a caregiver or as a person. I think self care is loosely used today for a lot of people, um, whether they're a caregiver or not. But we're in a role like we are as caregivers. Sometimes self care is is uh, beating the clock, it's getting up earlier than everybody else in the house, and having one cup of coffee before everybody's awake, or the end of the day having a drink, a glass of wine, if that's what you drink, or um, a cup of tea. Two fingers, of scotch, and <laughs> whatever, whatever floats your boat, man. Um, it's it's just taken some time to take the pressure off your head to stop the hammer from hammering your head because like you say, we don't not want to have the caregiving role because we know what that means. But at the same time, you do have to find, you are a human being and you do have to find some space for yourself. And sometimes you have to sound rude about making your boundaries, um, which is, which is what we've done recently. I changed our, um, our house around a little bit. I I got rid of my dining room furniture because we never use it. And, um, just never. It's like a little cottagey kind of house not far from the beach. And the front room where the dining room was is very sunny. You could watch the sunrise pretty much from there. You don't have a straight on look at the horizon, but you get all the colors. So it's beautiful. So I, I have furniture, you know, I bought furniture for that room. And we sit in there. And now normally we've gone our own ways in the morning. I go for my coffee. I get him his coffee. And we go in separate rooms. So now we're in the same room together. And I have one rule. He can't talk before the first cup of coffee is done. <laughs> because that's like the most important self-care I have going all day long. Is that I can look back on that first cup of coffee and say, okay, okay, relax. You had your first cup of coffee by yourself.
1: And see, that's I'm laughing because that's something that I need to do. Because I can't tell you how many times that when we just brought... Tom home from the hospital the first time that I would come in later in the afternoon and my cup of coffee was still sitting on my Keurig. (laughs) I had forgotten about it. And it's like, well, damn it. That's my problem. I didn't have my coffee this morning. Um, See it's and and that's what it is. It's like just finding that, that thing i think and and what you said earlier is like it's loosely defined it absolutely is most people are like oh you need self care here let me get you a massage no i need self care i just need 5 minutes to take a damn shower mm-hmm. so so yes and that's that's something i think just as you walk this path and maybe i'm just a slow learner but i'm 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 finding that's what it is it's not these over and these great pedicures and massages and days out with your girls. And it's just finding some time just to step back and remember who you are. Mm -hmm. I think you start to lose yourself. I'm, you know, at times I don't even feel like Laura. I feel like I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm Tom's caregiver. I'm Tom's voice. I'm Tom's, which, which I'm happy to be. I love being that. I'm glad I can be that. But again, it, it is draining on you, and and in order to to do what I need to do for Tom, I need to be in a good state of mind. And so I'm I'm finally learning that. Like I said, I, I'm probably a very slow learner when it comes to that, but um, I'm getting it. I, I'm learning it. And so I've been to this go around and this hospital stay. I think I've done a better job. I've made it home more. I've spent more time with my son. For me, that self care too is being able to connect with our son, Mm -hmm. which I didn't get to do the first go around. I stayed night and day at the hospital. And this time I'm letting his family sit with him and I'm coming home and I am just relaxing and getting my shower and, and doing what I need to do. So I, I am mentally and physically strong enough to take on what needs to be taken on, Mm -hmm. whether it's Tom's, personal care or you know fighting the VA for benefits and, and equipment um, that all is part of the caregiving journey for us especially as military caregivers I mean I know those that are not military caregivers they are doing the same thing they're running the parallel with you know Medicare and their their insurance um, but for me it's it's just you know working with the VA and trying to get those items that, that he needs in addition to taking care of my husband um, the best way I can.
0: Well, you're definitely a force to be reckoned with, (laughs) with the VA. That's for sure. You've made some really great strides with the VA and it's, you know, it takes its toll, but then I do think once it's done, it feels pretty good that it's done and it's an accomplishment for us. But I I didn't want to, I didn't want to bring up this one point that, When I first met you, not online, but when I first met you in person, I so don't remember how we met online. I think, I don't really remember how we did that. I I
1: think it was like, I don't know. I think I'm, I want to say I reached out to you. I I know that I stalked you for a while. I was like Facebook stalking you for a while.
0: I think it was the Veterans with, um, so we should, we should maybe share that group here. Our Veterans with ALS and their Caregivers Network page Facebook group which a closed group it's not a secret group but it is a closed group so you have to ask for permission to join it and only veterans with ALS and their caregivers so it can be any one of their family members or friends that's helping in their care and we help each other navigate through the benefits and the VA healthcare side so we do both sides Veterans Benefits Administration and Veterans Health Administration we just hope that we with that group that we cut through some of the red tape for people and help to guide them just even through sharing our experiences. And as administrators, you're now an administrator with me. We don't yes, ma'am. We do not do a lot of the work itself in the group. We have really great members who help each other out, um, which, is, which is really wonderful. Because one of the things we know with the VA is when you go to one veterans health care facility, you've gone to one. And so a lot of people look at me quizzically like, what are you talking about? And I say, well, because it's just one. It, the same policy is not true all across every VA. Every prosthetic chief is not the same. Every policy is not enforced in the same way or, or abided by in the same way. So the collective experience that we have in the group is really good. I think it really helps each other. And It might be the first place where we really connected. Well, then we went to the... Yeah. ALS Association's Advocacy uh, Week in May, mm-hmm. and that that must have been, well, I guess two and a half years ago, when yeah. we met. And I was just an Elizabeth Dole Foundation fellow. I was pretty new as a fellow, and and you're now a fellow this year, so that's really cool. It's, it's a little bit of I am like very a full circle kind of thing here. And I remember coming over, we kept missing each other and then finally I made it over to your table. I think, yeah, I think finally
1: we texted and it's yeah. like, Where are you in this yeah. room?
0: We were all <laughs> look for the side. Track chair. <laughs> we couldn't miss Tom, your Tom, because he was in his action track chair. So then I saw you on the other side of the room and we you and I were talking for a few minutes and you were so new to the disease. You really you really didn't know much about the progression, like you might've known intellectually, but you didn't, your heart didn't really know about the disease that much. And we got to talking and I, you said, well, I'm going to work through the whole disease. And I said, well, I don't know. You might find that you got to quit your job. And you said, what? I'm not fucking quitting my job. <laughs> <laughs> and you haven't quit your job, but you're you're in a very different place than you were two and a half years ago. And I, and I bring I that up. Because I think it's really important for listeners who are starting out their journey as caregivers or in the middle of their journey and realizing that they have to make changes and how much it hurts. There's an evolution to caregiving that's really different for all of us. It comes at different times and places for us. Um it depends on the disease or the condition that you're the disabilities that you're dealing with. And it's, it's okay to feel really bad when you first think about it and to grieve. And it's also really okay to grieve like you are today about where you are with your job, even though lots of people would like to say, oh, Lara, don't worry about it. You know what? There's going to be so many good things in the future. Well, that doesn't help you feel better today. Today, you get to feel bad about, about your situation with work. And um, you don't have to think about three months from now or four, four years from now, where are you going to be? Right now you just get to feel bad and then you'll pick yourself up and you'll keep going. Cause that's what you do.
1: Yeah. You, it, you just have to keep moving forward. And that is, I think one of the things that, that one of the many, many, many lessons you learn um, in this journey is that you just have to keep moving forward that's a really good
0: great place to kind of wrap it up i think is to um okay is to say we just have to keep moving forward and then the next time we talk we'll we'll break into it about the Dole foundation and you can tell us about your fellowship and what you hope to achieve does that sound
1: good to you that sounds great to me.
0: Because like as a caregiver right now, I have to go bring all the dogs to get their nails clipped. <laughs> I know. I,
1: I don't know if you keep hearing. I keep letting the, uh, the service dog out because he's now freaking out because he hasn't had his person in several weeks. And so um, he keeps getting my attention and
0: yeah. not being
1: the good trained service dog that he is. I know.
0: So we both have caregiving responsibilities that are, that are really uh, literally nibbling at our feet here. So... Absolutely. these right. nails are so long they look like Cruella DeMille
1: are they like tapping, tapping, tapping tappin across the tile yeah, they're like chewing, wood their, floors? They're chewing
0: their own nails so we're in bad shape and, and since Tom <laughs> isn't driving I'm taking his service dog and the other two dogs over to the vet so I, I have to wrap it up too I know you have a lot of things to do I, pre- I really appreciate your time today and um, keep me posted give me a call when you just feel like bitching
1: uh, you They're know what? I'm glad you're always there for me, and laughing, and understanding exactly what what I'm going through.
0: All right. Well, we love you to pieces over here,
1: and love you too. All
0: right. Talk to you later.
1: Bye. Okay.
0: Bye. Thank you, Lara, for joining us today and sharing your impactful story. We know grief can be a very constant companion for us as caregivers, as we think about the life that we had and the life that's that we're looking at going forward. Um, We appreciate that you were able to share some of that with us today. We hope you'll come back on for another interview at another time. Um, For our listeners, we would love to hear from you. Drop us a line. You can send us a message or head on over to our Facebook page, This Caregiver Life, and send us a message there if you'd like. Either way, we'd love to hear from you. We'd like to know what it is you'd like to hear um, for future interviews, what topics you would like us to touch on. We hope you keep listening and you spread the word. We think this caregiver life is an important podcast that helps us tell the caregiver story with our boots on the ground caregivers.